Hello everybody and welcome to the 35th episode of the Aliens vs Predator Galaxy podcast. This is your regular host and site co-administrator Corporal Hicks. And with me today are my usual cohorts, Ridgetop. Hello again everyone. And Xenomorphin. Hey, forum members. Joining us today is a uh, special community guest star. He's been in the community as long as, maybe longer than we have, actually. Um, it actually makes me quite sad, because I can remember chatting to you on uh, MSN as a kiddlywink. <laughs> well, we would have both been kiddlywinks back then, really, wouldn't we? It's about 11 years. Um, so this this is Sil. Howdy, hi. And thanks for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. And today's episode is actually Sil's idea. Oh, yeah, great. Blame me. Yes, blame all <laughs> on him. So if you could just sort of explain what we're going to be chatting about today and kick us off. Okay, the idea I had for this was basically, um, it's very popular to kind of, for people in the AVP community, like basically any fan base, to trash kind of new films or stories and stuff like that for things that they don't like. They, oh, there's too much gore, there's too much this, you know, this mystery was stupid. But then they'll say that something very similar that happened in the early films was, yeah, absolutely brilliant. And I thought instead of just trash talking older films, it would be interesting to go by and do direct comparisons between things that really, really worked in the original films that were brought up again in later films. Um, for example, comparing Alien and Aliens to the AVP films um, and seeing why it actually worked in those early films and why it didn't in the later films, not to trash those films, but just so people, like maybe if you're writing a fan fiction or if you want to be a writer, you can understand like, this is what worked and this is the same thing, but it didn't work and here's why it didn't work. So, do you want to throw it out there with your first point? Well, I think the first one I wanted to bring up was um, the difference between like the mystery, the mystery elements in like Alien versus say Prometheus. Because Alien leaves many viewers with a lot of questions. What is the space jockey? How much did the company know? But people generally don't sit around saying, oh, Alien is terribly written or it feels incomplete because we don't know these answers. Whereas you get Prometheus and you get to the end of that film and you have effectively learned nothing and it gets people frustrated. Some people it doesn't, many people it does. And some people say, well, you don't care about the mystery in Alien or even Aliens. You, know, you don't care about what happened exactly at Hadley's home. Whereas you give... Like, you care a lot about, you know, why you don't find out about the engineers at the end of Prometheus. I, I'm one of the people that does find Prometheus very frustrating. Mm. Um, and the mystery of Alien was something... I would say that's probably what got me more drawn into the community and the expanded universe aspect. Because, like you say, you know, you come away from Alien with a lot of questions. And one that always intrigued me was, what is the space jockey? You know, that whole backstory around it. But it's it's not the core of Alien, is it? No. You could you could take away the space jockey and have similar kind of setup, but it would not impede the movie at all. Yeah. Prometheus is built around the mystery and answering those questions, isn't it? Yeah, I think the mystery is interwoven in the story itself rather than just an like an extra treat to speculate on. It it directly impacts the story. It's like the main focus of of the primary characters and a lot of those important questions that are the reasons why these characters are are there never get answered and i think that's where the frustration from prometheus comes because it touts itself as this big answer to all these big questions that we've always have you know we've been asking since alien came out that the sort of thinking that you're along as well yeah it's like basically 
I think mystery kind of works best when the actual answers to those questions aren't necessary to resolve the plot or the character motivations. Mm. So, like, it, Alien isn't about what is the space jockey. It's not about what did the company know. It's about seven truckers on a spaceship trying not to get killed. You know, Prometheus, on the other hand, is about a bunch of people going to find Space God and then the boogeyman rocks up. So it never resolves what it sets up to do. Like, the whole point of the film, basically, you have to go see the next film to see... Mm, yeah. the end of what you've got into it on this time and it's not like with you know the lord of the rings where you go in knowing that there's going to be three stories like this is going to be one story split up into three movies you go into prometheus expecting a story and you end up with half of it coming out of that it felt very much like part one of um you know a multi-story part i mean it was almost entirely set up that you didn't you didn't know where it was going or what or that it was even going to be mostly set up i think yeah. that's the the downfall of a lot of movies th these days is we're kind of in the age of, you know, sequels, remakes and reboots. And I think studios more than anything are, are looking for franchises. Like you look at Alien came out in 79 and, and Aliens wasn't out until 86. And, and it wasn't even for a few years that they had started planning a sequel, I think. So I think now movie studios are too focused on how can we build a franchise rather than how can we tell a good story. So, and, and it's frustrating seeing a lot of big movies these days, you see so much sequel setup that sacrifices, you know, important because story elements. Right, yeah. Um, and, and you saw it with Prometheus, and you're starting to see it with Star Wars, too. There's a lot of questions that they just throw off, like, oh, we'll come up with the answers to that in the sequel. And it gets incredibly frustrating when, when you've seen movies in the past that, yeah, they can have a good sequel that continues the story, but each story is its own condensed story. Yeah. Well, that's not to say that... <sighs> no, no, because that's going to be quite... I was going to say that's not to say that Prometheus doesn't have its own story. It does, but it doesn't... Do it doesn't anything. resolve. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. do anything with it. I mean, another thing that Lindelof, um, Damon Lindelof, the, the writer, the polisher in quotation marks of Prometheus, <laughs> um, is quite known for is, quotation marks again, his mystery. And I... Yeah. 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 Or his, his mystery box mystery trope. is asking a question and never, never giving the answer. Yeah. He thinks that's what mystery is. It, it's not. Mm. Which I think is probably, you know, another one of those problems that plagues Prometheus rather than wanting yeah. to you know wanting to go back and answer the things and there's a lot of ambiguity as well and well lack of clarity I suppose into what he does almost none of it makes sense none of it works together yeah these elements that seem like they're really meaningful and, and important things that happen that that are just glanced at for a moment and then never touched upon again well, I mean that more in terms of, you know, they sort of sidetracking a little bit and not trying to bash here. Um, but <laughs> they, you know, the, uh, Scott and Linda... That's our challenge. <laughs> yeah. We, we're trying not to, uh, you know, have a have a bit of a slag fest here, which I, I suspect is going to be slightly difficult. Mm -hmm. Where was I going? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Scott and... Lindelof said they wanted people to come out of the film talking about it, asking questions, and they got they got the wish. But <laughs> I think that's it stems maybe a not lot the questions the they wanted to ask. Yeah, well, it stems from it's like why did they do write, that? Uh, poor story writing, isn't it? It's hmm. half a story that even they didn't necessarily know the answers to. And yeah, I mean, I haven't properly watched the deleted scene where they actually had the engineer answering David. 
at the end. But doesn't the engineer actually give some sort of an, well, an explanation for why he starts murdering people? Uh, no, he... he they, they have a talk in the proto, uh, proto language, but it never... You know, nothing's ever... Oh, they still don't say anything? No. Um, yeah. Have you... Have you read um, the the old script, John Spacer's old script? I got about twelve pages in. Weren't you a fan? Nah, I admittedly those twelve pages were a lot better than what we end up with the script because everything actually made sense. Yeah. Like the motivations between why people were doing what they were doing um, was a bit, much better fleshed out. Yeah. Well, a lot of the answers were also there. Yeah, and that's that's equally frustrating. Like, okay, if you're a writer and you have the answers, like, don't be coy. Don't leave them out for the sake of leaving them out. You, you don't gain anything unless you substitute it with something substantial. Because if you have the answers and you just strip them out, then you've just got a bunch of lead-up that goes nowhere. And your story ends up becoming, well, basically how Prometheus feels for a lot of people, frustrating and kind of unfulfilled. That's a very good way of putting it, unfulfilled. Well, I think what Lindelof um, had mentioned, I think, in in some interviews somewhere, was that um, Scott was telling him, to be more mysterious and more ambiguous. Mm. And he was like, oh, are, are you sure you want me to do this? Like, I, I got a lot of flack for how I treated Lost, and, and I don't want this to be kind of a repeat, which, which I mean, eventually it was. I think a lot of the movie's criticisms fall upon the writing, and I think uh, he took the blunt of it. And, and a lot of times he uh, expresses his frustrations with that. Like he, I've read some interviews with him where he's like, I'm happy to be the internet's, you know, whipping boy Mm -hmm. because people accuse him of of ruining so many, uh, pieces of entertainment. And I think that's another reason why I don't want to turn this into a slag fest is because like a a film is such a big collaborative process. You can't just say, Damon Lindelof did a shitty job or this person did a shitty job. You, you have to just look at the final product and take it on its own merits and not the individual contributions of people by the end of it. I think that's, that's a big problem a lot of a lot of people fall into. I mean, I'm certainly guilty of that from the past. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. If you think back to the pre-Prometheus days, and everybody's, you know, bring back um, Ridley Scott, bring back the Master, and yeah. we we got the Master back. Not everybody appreciated the collaborative nature of of the film. You know, it, it wasn't just Ridley Scott. Um, it wasn't just um, Dan O'Bannon. You know, and it wasn't even just Giga. Yeah, exactly. The alien design. I mean, you know, we we've got um we've got Rambaldi working on the head to make that work properly. Roger Dickens. Roger, yeah, Dickens on the um. The small know, creatures. Yeah, that you know what I saw that the other day on the credits. He made me chuckle. Small alien forms is credited mm. as. I liked that, and you know I think it's got to a point where Ridley Scott's now so big that people are too scared to say no to him. It's basically what happened to George Lucas on the prequels. Hmm. It's like everyone's like, oh, it's you. What do you want to do? Because you're obviously a genius. And they don't take into like There were limitations on the earlier film. There were budget limitations. They had to be inventive. You know, creative. Yeah, with a lot of, yeah. yeah, they had to be inventive. They had to. But when you give somebody $400 million to make a film and say go nuts, it basically doesn't work. Yeah, I think one of the, the best examples of, of what you're talking about here was if you watch the special features in Prometheus is when... Scott starts talking about his idea that the space jockey is is really just a a suit, kind of suit. and yeah, it's yeah. A, a albino extraterrestrial being, which is never how anyone imagined it. And a lot of the artists they they interview the artists, and the artists were saying like we were trying to question him on this, like oh, we don't think this is a great idea, but he explained it and and he made us really like it. And it's like well, I don't I don't know if 
you really ended up liking it or not. But I, I think that that was a good example of, of kind of missing the point for me was what they did with the space jockey in Prometheus. Um, because I think a big part of the fun of that whole mystery was the Lovecraftian you know, what, nature of it. Exactly. Like what kind of crazy alien race was this that was so advanced and what were they doing with the xenomorphs? And Prometheus just kind of turned it into, oh, these are our creators. It, it really kind of took some of the fun out of the mystery, I think. And that seems to have come down to, I think John Spates's, how did he put this? Um, connecting the story to, giving the story like a human connection, you know, to mm. make it re- relatable, that's how we put it. To make it relatable to the audience, it needed to be a story about the audience and that's how he approached it and I think that again like you said that misses the point of what most of the fascination regarding the the space jockeys truly was I mean it was this complete, it was alien yeah it was completely unique alien extraterrestrial vibe to it all that, that gave it this mystique that made people like me hunt down the comics hunt down stuff like um, destroying angels to try mm. and find out more about them i think that's something else that alien um kind of nails is alien is very singular like it's in the title it's alien mm. it's people encountering an alien and then another alien because the first one was MacGuffin. but it's about people trying not to get their heads caved in by this eight foot tall acid monster prometheus is about questions and goo and people making humans and it's like it's trying to do it's trying to be too clever but it doesn't have a single through line that it can connect everything with mm. like the ending of prometheus is like if imagine you get to the end of alien ripley's in the shuttle the alien's coming out of the wall and then you cut to you know more space jockeys landing and the suit opens up and you see the engineers <laughs> so yeah. that, that is the ending of prometheus because you're asking all these questions but then it's boogeyman on the spaceship for the ending what are your thoughts on the matter xenomorph and you've been uh, suspiciously quiet so far well it's as you guys have said really but um in regards to Prometheus, it kind of turned the concept on its head. With um, with Alien, um, you had thing elements like the space jockey. They were set up for something completely separate to come into the picture. Um, and also, it, it, there's nothing in Prometheus which equals, let alone surpasses, how chilling that reveal was, not just of the space jockey, but of the egg chamber, because it's not just the space jockey and alien. It's You have that whole, you, you immediately go into that egg chamber and it go, it looks like it goes on for miles and you feel as though it's, it's just one segment of one huge, I'm not going to say, you know, one huge mystery, but... It's just one piece of the puzzle, and you you are. Star Wars had the same effect, where it was it wasn't just people in suits. Everything looked real. It it was it was grounded in a kind of reality which audiences hadn't seen before, or possibly since. Um, but you don't get that sense. You don't get that atmosphere in Prometheus, and Prometheus came along a little bit like they have these toys and they're going to play with them in the sandbox. But as you guys have said, they didn't really have a thread which linked through the whole thing to link it together. They they didn't have a, a proper... They didn't feel like they had a grasp of the end game to it. It's like, 
okay, we'll see you next Saturday kind of thing. It just, as you say, Syl, you've got to look at these kind of things from a writer's perspective. Alien was not about you know this it was the you know the company what did they know blah blah that was just icing on the cake what the meat of the story is about it's about you know truckers in space it's about these other kinds of things whereas prometheus tries to go the other way and you know some parts of it work but other parts definitely don't work and it doesn't have the logic that alien did to especially at the end where as we talked on our podcast about the engineer's script we understood why the thing went mental at david in prometheus you 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 not only don't have an idea but there's no way that we ever will have an idea about yeah there's there's no motivation yeah there's no logic and when you're writing there's that old adage about if you show um, a shotgun on the above the fireplace in act one by Act two or three, it's got to be shot. Three has to be fired, yeah. Yeah, you've got to have, you've got to structure it out. In Prometheus, you don't get the sense that it's properly structured. But what actually happened was it kind of was properly structured in the first script, but in the Lindelof script, in an effort to make it more mysterious. yeah, that they removed certain parts of the structure and as a whole, like a building, it kind of has that feel of it's collapsing under its own weight in a way. So to summarize that entire point, basically, if you're writing a story, know what your story's about, answer the questions that need answering. If you're spending your entire film like asking big, profound questions, you need to kind of resolve that by the end of it. You don't just throw something flashy at the audience at the last minute and hope that they'll forget it. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Here be dragons' territory because that's what absolutely not. We, no. go, we were going to encounter more of in Prometheus because we absolutely got that in that space jockey reveal and the egg chamber. We got that here be dragons' territory, and it was just it was one of those things that everyone watches it and they just get that sense from Alien, and you just don't get it in Prometheus, and it's because they were doing it this other you know ask about face way. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So that's Prometheus. I think we were all right there. I don't think we got too. I think it was constructive. Yeah. <laughs> Which, at the end of the day, you know, it's all right to have issues with um, with the various things as long as it's not slagging on for the sake of slagging. Okay. So on to our next issue. Should we do predators? Go on then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I just think this one will be, I think, a bit more of um, two sides to a debate, because I think we're all agreeing a lot on that one. Um, so the issue with predators and creating good bad guys, if you're writing a story and you're trying to establish that, okay, say, say you're doing a sequel and you're trying to establish that your new bigger, badder, tough guy is bigger and badder and tougher than the previous bigger and badder and tough guy, don't have him fail to achieve what the previous bigger and badder tough guy did. I think that the biggest mistake that Predators made in regards... It's hard to really think to start with this. Because, again, Predators is a film where there was a concept in the earlier things that sort of went skewed as it went on, which sort of skews how people view the film. And that that would be, as you say, the bigger, badder guys, um, the super Predators. Now, I don't think it comes across in the film as that's necessarily what they're trying to do. You know, the early intent obviously is that these guys are the bee's knees, these are the fucking super quotation marks predators. And that's 
just a little bugbear in, in how how that's all presented because I can I think if that's the route they would have got genuinely wanted to go with it what they should have done is it's like you say they they all failed at doing what the other guys did what they should have had was one predator one new predator who went through all the shit that the other guys did you know it gets it blown up in his face gets slashed across his stomach and then gets to the big fight at the end and he's had all these issues and you know we're still coming out on top i think that the, the issue then with um predators is that with the whole nolan speech of dogs versus wolves they are trying to establish that these are i don't it's not very well done though is it i mean it's just it's almost a throwaway sentence in the film that without that single single comment it wouldn't have really i don't think carried. it's really throwaway though because his speech is given such importance but in, in the film, the way it's shot and the way it's presented to the characters and stuff like that. And the audience is suppressing this by saying and absorbing his information. So the film wants us to listen to this. The film wants us to hang his words. And what he's saying, okay, it's like dogs and wolves. We're supposed to understand, okay, these are bigger, tougher, angrier, like, meaner. But the film itself doesn't bear that out. And also, I, I know it's not really fair to hold a film to its marketing. But when the producer just will not shut up about the fact that these are supposed to be bigger, better, tougher predators, you kind of have an expectation to see that. Yeah, I, I definitely think, and that was the thing that had me concerned initially about Predators the most, because um, initially they weren't like a subspecies or anything like that. They were predators that had messed with their own biology and caused themselves to like evolve or something like that. Um, and they had black blood and, and there were some other odd kind of traits about them that that I, I think was in the initial draft, but but they changed it eventually. Um, I personally, I liked um, Nolan's speech uh, about the two clans. I think it gave some some necessary context without like going on into some long explanation. And, and I always kind of saw them as like the Neanderthals of, of the predator race, where they were kind of like a, a more primitive, burlier predator race that didn't want to move on to the, the honor codes and the stuff like, like that. So, well, I mean, and that's, sorry. Sorry, I, I just hate the whole honor thing to do with the predators. Sporting. I, 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 yeah, no, we'll say sporting. I, I, never, yeah, I never buy into that in the films. I don't think they're in the films at all. They, no, they kind point. of a, a, yeah, alluded that... to it more in, in AVP, I think, and, and even in Predator 2. Uh, and that's not to say that they have to go like full-blown space samurai like they are in, in some of the novels and stuff like that. But I think there was a sense that they did have some sort of code where they wouldn't just kill indiscriminately. They have a code of conduct. It's like a code of sportsmanship. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's like you don't kill weak things because there's no, there's no sport. Yeah, like, Arnie says it in the first yeah. There's no sport. Anyway, sorry, just, just to, you know, dive out, sorry. But yeah, I mean, I think ultimately if, if they would have just had the new Super Predators and not had the Predator there, I think the fans would have been a bit irritated uh, about that because it would have felt more like a full-blown reboot. But but with the, the classic Predator there and the fact that we got a Predator fight, you know, something we had never seen before, which I thought was done really well in the film, even, even if I, I feel like it could have gone on a bit longer, um... You know, the Predator was just kind of there to, to acknowledge, like, hey, you know, the Predators you know and love are still a part of this universe. We're just telling a story about a different type mm -hmm. of Predator. But I think they did hype up the Super Predators a bit much. And I think the film, it was it very much felt low budget. And we never really got yeah. to see the Super Predators do anything 
uh, other than what regular predators had done, like you were saying, uh, mm. except look a little bit more imposing and, and have some different armor and, and physical traits about them and, and stuff like Actually, that. that. But that fight as well um, could say some things that would end up going into slagging. But I think in terms of creating characters, but it would be really impressive to see the super predator or the berserker predator kill the original predator, the classic one. If he hadn't been strung up to a pole for the entire film and hadn't already been like obviously beaten up and stuff like and that kind of thing, that's obviously them trying to show the super predator superiority, but it's like it's beating a lame duck. The thing's got like a half a face left. The mask is broken. It's been crucified for the entire film. It's obviously a runt because it's not any taller than you know Adrian Brody, and it's beating up on him. It's more like a bully like wailing on the mentally handicapped kid in a wheelchair than you know this clash of titans that it, i think that they wanted it to be i think that was also partially disappointing like a fight between a healthy classic predator and the berserker predator at the end would have been really fun and if the berserker predator had come out on top at the end then you see like this guy is because even that one thing you know could have been the difference and that's more the point i'm making it's like if you're going to try and show um how big and bad and tough your guy is Think about how all the elements actually play into each other. You can't just say, well, heating up the classic predator, therefore he's the winner. You've got to, like, if the classic predator is six feet tall and half dead, it's not that impressive. I don't think the intent is really noticeable in the film. I mean, we had the benefit of hearing them sprout all this bullshit and read the reading the, the earlier script with it all in. But I, I think it does come across though, just in the way the story is told. And that's another thing to keep an eye on. It's like, think about how your story is coming across to your audience. It's like, you can't truly write a story in a vacuum. You have to think about how people are going to read it. You know, whether you use that to mess with people or whether you use that to play on their expectations, it's like, you can't just keep saying, okay, these are wolves versus dogs and this is the classic predator versus the berserker predator and then hope that people don't think you're saying these are better. I don't think we would have really noticed that <laughs> if 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 we they hadn't have thrown it. I, th- I think people would have. I think a lot of, and I think you're underestimating how precious some fans can get. And I think they <laughs> would have underestimated how precious some fans can get. Because consider this, like, okay, compared to AVP, Scar is like the most competent. It's like the last kind of um, competent predator with seen more or less like more than wolf more than the predators what we really see in predators but everyone gives him crap everyone gives him crap do you know why because he looks ugly because he's built like a linebacker and has yet has an ugly face and he's honorable and stuff like that people don't care that he's actually shown to be a competent hunter they care more about the design than the actual character exactly so you, you can't underestimate how precious people will get about that kind of stuff. You can't say dogs versus wolves and have them kill the original yeah. guy. And just think I that think without that line, it wouldn't have been... But they had that line in, and that's the thing. You can't say without that line when that made it into the film. Yeah, fair enough. See, that, that's the point in like, and con- putting the context of this conversation with writing. Like, if you're going to have that line in film, you have to, back it. Yeah. to know that... Yes, you have to back it up. Either cut it out yeah. or back it up. And I know where you're coming from. I, I, I understand, <laughs> you know, I understand what you're saying. But even even the comparison in in I do I do wish it wasn't there because I do I do know that it creates this whole issue between the the berserker predators and the classic predator fight. But even even that line as it is written, I don't think is that big of a thing. I mean, wolves and dogs aren't you know it, there's there's not a massive 
terrible amount of difference between them. I mean, well, there is because it's also the fact that dogs are domesticated, so you think there are domestic kind of wolves as well. Though. Yeah, yeah, but most people don't think about domestic wolves. Most people think about wolves in the wild. That's the comparison. Yeah, I was talking about what well. something that's primal and savage as opposed to something that yeah. is domesticated. Even then, that's not. It's not necessarily a comparison of competency or... They're saying that these things are worse, they're more vicious, they're, like they're scarier, they're more dangerous. But like, okay, even if you don't say bigger and better, like they are trying to say they're more dangerous because one considers a wolf more dangerous than a domesticated dog. But again, this isn't held up by the film by the fact that these three just don't seem to like do as much as one did. Like, it's, it's hard to argue that they're even more dangerous when they can't even seem to get as much done, even when they have like all of these advantages. That's another thing. Like... They grab random people, drop them on a planet that they've been to, like, throw in somebody that's going to start attacking them from the inside, which is cheating, and they still can't win. Okay, so let's ignore my dislike of that that line and the whole lead-up. Your, your distaste of the line is noted, but unfortunately it's in... Let's ignore that then and get more to the, the point that you are wanting to get with in terms of how to do it properly then. So... Mm-hmm. The you know the the filmmakers want to make these guys bigger and badder and better. How do we feel would have been a better way to to portray the bigger and badder to bad guy then? Okay, only one to start with. Yeah, completely. Because then you got an even comparison between one project and the previous films. Don't have a random group of people like a, a team that has worked well together yeah, the, for years yeah, is much more of a threat, more threatening. Yeah. Yep. Um, don't throw in the random guy in the middle who's going to start shanking people. Because again, <laughs> yeah, Ed- just... Edwin was a complete left turn in that, wasn't he? It wasn't. Yeah, and they were trying to be too clever with it. Like you, and again, it disadvantages the group. If you're trying to establish that the group that this predator is fighting is tough, don't throw in that like weird disadvantage. I probably wouldn't have the um, classic predator crucified. Maybe even keep it a bit ambiguous about what's actually chasing. Don't reveal that there's this bigger bad predator. Have people think it's a regular one and actually have a regular one. And then at the end, you get the reveal that they've actually been chased or towards the end mm. that you've know, actually been chased by this other one that the classic predator has been trying to fight. And then at the end, they clash and you've got like a healthy predator versus a healthy predator. The berserker one wins. It's like, oh, shit. How do you guys feel about that? Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty much in agreement with the um, the alternatives you just suggested. Yeah, um, I, I, I do. I definitely agree that when I was watching it, I do remember this, the classic Predator getting all suited up and thinking, but you've been up on this thing all this time. Why are you yeah. wanting to fight these things? You, you're you going to want to get home and bring in reinforcements or something. But, you know, it's suiting up and it's clearly ready to go in for the kill. And when they actually start fighting, you kind of forget about that. But I agree, it would have been much more interesting if they'd have kind of done the red herring thing but i think that would have leaked out in the early viewings or something and the audience would have already been well aware that that's the big um thing you're not going to be it's able hard to, to maintain it, any kind of... i think um yeah they, they, yeah i think it's going to be very difficult to have kept the secrecy because then all the fans would have known oh it's actually about this bigger predator and they go oh great um unless I you actually have... hide it like you set it up that everybody knows that there's a big bad project and you don't know that there's a regular one that's also yeah. there. Yeah, I, Until, I agree yeah, yeah. with that, yeah. Oh, but I, I think there's something to be said for that kind of like, like they did in Terminator 2, where you assume it's mm-hmm. it's Arnold was going to be the one and then it's actually 
there's a something that happens and it turns it on its head. Yeah, they gave that away in the marketing as well, more or less. But nobody complained. I don't remember. See, I was little when something. I was just in high school, but um. From what I remember, it was when you're actually watching the film, it's definitely mm. come up, it's put across that you don't know whether Arnold is going to go after John Connor or the T-1000 or both of them. And then there's that scene where, you know, the flowers drop and he, yeah. he protects John Connor. Something like that. Yes, yeah, so they could have done something like cool. that. Yeah. yeah, I think that would have been very cool to have seen. And also would have given, I know people hate team-ups, but it would have been a much more organic sort of, um, cooperation between the humans and the predator. Like, they wouldn't have to necessarily be talking to each other and be buddy buddy, but they're both obviously working towards a common goal. Yeah. And then the Berserker predator kills the classic. And I don't mean like they're actually physically helping each other. It's just more that sort of, we're both trying to kill something, so let's leave each other alone. Yeah. Personally, I like how they did it. I just think, <clears throat> I think they could have delved more into, um, some of the traits of the berserker predators and, and shown what they could do more. And, and also I thought it was very strange mm-hmm. um, when they talked about abducting all, all these different specialists, you know, aggressive people uh, from all over the world. It's like, how does that work? I mean, granted you can't really go into that too much, but uh, I think it was, it was almost a little too mysterious on that front. Like, okay, so, so these are, uh, super predators that have supposedly been at war with the predators we know, uh, but at the same time they run their own hunting planet and abduct people from all over the world to to take them there. So that was like this this big thing for me that was not really delved into at all. Um, and and granted, I don't think it should have been too much, but I think maybe it should have been a little bit. Like there should have been a couple more hints and glances as to to how that was working. Yeah, because the original um, script actually had people getting grabbed. Right, and if if you look at some of the comics too, it it does show some of those those stories of the characters the before the film. On the DVD as well, um, I believe, yeah, I like those most. But I think that's getting away from the point of establishing the character. I mean, did it really need? I think the gaming preserve thing it felt a bit gimmicky. I think it could have worked as I don't just think that was a jungle. Though. You think maybe yeah. they? I think they were trying to just... do maybe too much, trying to be too smart with such a film that was so cheaply made so quickly made as well that you know the the time wasn't there to properly refine and trim out everything that's another thing here's a point for filmmakers like work within your limitations if you don't have a big budget don't have a big schedule don't try to make a three-hour epic it's just it's not going to work <laughs> don't, well, don't throw too many things in the pot that you can't give enough time yeah I think in, in light of how the original we've seen the script it was meant to have been based on it could have been a lot worse than it was oh, God, yeah. it's it's it, it's a miracle it ended up great i quite like it personally but it's when you look at how bad that script was it's a miracle it got to as big as it was and even before then i think rodriguez had done an, another script like the first predator script he had ever done that i guess starred our starred arnold when when he wrote it and it it had a lot of those ideas it was a lot more epic he was saying like if money was not an issue you know he he just wrote this script that would have cost like over a hundred million dollars and yeah. and bit this big story on a predator world. And I think some of those elements got translated over to predators. Um, but I'm not sure if, if all of them worked the, effectively. The very core basic story concepts of predators was what was in Rodriguez's original, um, script, which I have to say is quite possibly one of the worst things I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But let's not go into trash territory. <laughs> I, I honestly think though, uh, 
you know, credit where credit is due. I think Nimrod Antel did a good job directing that movie, and I think it would have been worse if Rodriguez had directed it. I think Rodriguez is a good director for what he does, but his style is a bit too out there and outlandish to make a, a grounded sci-fi like a Predator film. And I think mm-hmm. Nimrod did, did a really good job kind of toning down some of those ideas to make them a, a bit more realistic. Okay, anything else on Predators? Just trying to think. We could start going into um, homages. Yes, I suppose that, that would work very. Yeah, that would work very well from Predators, of course, because one of we can then branch into AVP, AVPR. Yeah, I was going to say AVP. Yeah. I think one of the more common and I think unfair complaints of Predators is a lot of people tend to call it, you know, a ripoff of of Predator or a copy. I think a lot of that. I mean, there, there are definitely. There are definitely similarities in there. And you know what? I'm probably going to get hate for this one, but I think it's an unfair comparison that um, the new Star Wars gets. I think I think the entire you know third act of Star Wars, of the new Star Wars, yes, is you know near enough New Hope. But up to that, I think the, the story, the similar story beats, but the, the overall structure of it is is not worthy of that of that complaint. The overall structure of it is the same sort of. There's a child, orphan child, for that matter, on a desert world who thinks that they aren't anything special, who one day has the intergalactic war dropped on their head, uh, is immediately recruited into said intergalactic war and becomes instrumental in helping fight that intergalactic war. And you can go further into those beats, but it is basically the plot of A New Hope. But worse. <laughs> I don't know. I, let's not get into that, but it is... It's the same structure as A New Hope. It's the same like outline as A New Hope. If you wrote out the outline of both of those films, you would end up with the same thing. Okay. Completely stopped me in my tracks there. <laughs> <laughs> and as far as... Predators, I, I actually agree with Predators. I don't think it is that big of a, a copy. Like, there is a jungle planet. There are soldiers. But I think saying that Predator, Predators is a ripoff of Predator is like people saying that Alien 3 is a ripoff of Alien. Yeah. Just because it's one alien and no guns. And it's completely ludicrous if you actually look at the films side by side. They aren't the same at all. But because there are those simple like cosmetic similarities, yeah, superficial, people immediately think, yeah. oh, it's just superficial yeah, similarities. People just immediately leap on, oh, it's the same thing. Yeah, I, and Predator is actually more of a ripoff of Predator than Predator is. I, I just think it comes down to how they handle it, uh, whether mm. or not it comes across as, as a decent homage or if it's just pandering to nostalgia. Um, well, look at the Essentially, aliens alien, is yeah, yeah. the plot of Alien. All the way yeah. through to the, and it's, you know, the, the conflict. If you start going through the beats, but it takes ages and you have to really like explain it to people for them to realize that's true. And yet you don't think it when it's happening. It's like people give Aliens a free pass. In fact, same kind of thing with Terminator 2. Like the, the plot to the original film was very, very, very similar. But what Cameron used to be very good at was taking like that existing plot and then just using that as the spine, but then building something that was generally bigger, arguably better um, than what was done before, or at least different enough and entertaining enough to stand on its own feet. He seems to have lost that with Avatar, but like Aliens and Terminator 2 are retreads of the previous films in terms of plot structure, but with so much that just added little things um, that just elevates it from being a complete retread. How, I will actually point out now just for the listeners that, you know, Joe is a filmmaker, a legitimate filmmaker, um, whereas we're just you know, nerds. Um, so I do put a lot of <laughs> respect and understanding onto his opinions when he presents these kind of things, which is why it's always interesting to chat to him. Um, so, you know, Cameron, when you notice it, you know, it is the same structure. How important do you think, well, 
not important. The way that the specifics of it are very different on the basic on the basic spine of it. Do you think that makes the massive difference in getting away with them? The reason Kevin gets away with it is because he takes the structure, builds something new on it. Whereas with something like AVP, APR, they take a new course of action, but then they just copy the scenes. So Cameron doesn't, there are actually maybe one or two shots that are very, very similar to Alien, and there are some music cues that are taken from Alien. Mm. But he creates his own iconography. Like, he creates his own iconic images, whereas AVP, AVPR, um, they're just, hey guys, remember this shot, remember this shot, remember this shot, remember this shot, yeah. remember this scene, remember it's this one. It's more of a compilation like, of best of it. That's the difference, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's fun to build off a previous structure, but you start taking those um, superficial bits. If you start taking like the little beats, and just copying that, that's really, really obvious. Like AVP kind of has a similar plot to Alien, for example, but people don't really call it up on its plot similarities to Alien. They call it up on the fact that you've got this, this shot, that shot, and the other taken from the different films. And I think that's that's the distracting and detrimental aspects of, of fan service, of homages, is, you know, it, it, it's the wholesale copy for nothing more than a, a, a wink of the eye. Yeah, and yet you go into alien isolation which is arguably does a similar kind of standing on the shoulders of giants things but even though it deliberately not copies exactly but it deliberately tries to recreate very specific things from the first film everyone in the fandom just says it does it right and it's not that they forgive it for doing it right, but they say it succeeds because it did it right. Yeah, like, do you... I don't play Isolation and think I'm just in Alien. I feel I'm in the world of Alien, but I don't think I'm yeah, playing I, the movie. I think it, yeah, I think that's in, the important distinction. It, it's, it's about world building. Do you feel you're in the same continuity, or do you feel like it's, as Hitler said, best? <laughs> what Cameron does really well is he puts you back into the same world, but then just keeps building off of it. And things that feel like they should happen in a lot of cases, not necessarily things that you're sitting there thinking, why would that happen in this universe? Alien Resurrection is a lot like that. They kind of get away with it being 200 years later, but it just doesn't... I guess that's also sort of the point. Like With Resurrection, it is 200 years later. Ripley's cloned. She's waking up in a new place. But actually, that's a good thing with world building and continuity. I think what the Alien films, the four main films have, or obviously the AVP films, is that they have Ripley throughout every single film as the or the returning audience and there's always people in the film who are people who are watching it for the first time it starts faltering in alien 3 a bit because the audience gets ahead of ripley um but like alien and aliens for example we have alien aliens and resurrection we have ripley to hold on to if we've watched these films before what do you all think about the um let's say the music of the film sometimes having homages to older films like predators is a really good example the the musical score for that movie was very much an emulation yeah. of the original sylvester one and even even though the overall opinion of avpr was very negative i heard a lot of positive things about brian tyler's score for that film which was essentially just a a kind of best of moments of all the the motifs from from all the the films before i think that must be a very hard thing for franchises in general because there's always you know what? What's the definition between a, a distinction between a series theme and, say, a specific movie theme? I mean, I think Predator, the series. Um, see, I I love the score for Predators, and the the similar the similar uh, movements and musical beats never never bother me because Predators, uh, Predator Two, 
also largely used the same um, same music from from the first film, so it felt more like a, a, a music that belonged to the series rather than music that belonged to a specific film. So it didn't it didn't particularly come off as um, a wholesale rip off to me, but that's that's just how I I always felt about it. Besides the only soundtrack that I didn't like besides APR's best of score was um, AVP's. That was the most unremarkable out of all of them. I think my favourite out of the Predator movies, actually, though, is Predator 2. I really liked some of the extra tribal themes that um, Sylvester built into it. Mm. I suppose it very much suited that film as well, with the whole reveal at the end. I th- it's something about his, that, like those, again, those tribal themes are really suited when Harrigan walks into the spaceship at the end. Yeah, mm. that eerie. It just felt like there. the tropics. Yeah. yeah, it felt it, they were, he he really upped the um the tribal aspect in Predator Two, mm-hmm. which worked really well for it. Predator Two, you had that kind of a hint of that here be dragons thing, and a lot of that was to do with the musical score on Predator mm-hmm. Two. Actually, Predator Two, a good example of a good uh, good homage, bad homage. The plot is basically a retread of the first movie, which nobody cares about. But then you get to the scene, which is basically ripped straight from Hillians. <laughs> that is just so bad. And it was so ham-fisted. It was like so... It's like you guys came up with this just to do that scene, didn't you? (laughs) It's almost shot for shot. So, how about... This is something I absolutely hate, is repeated lines throughout a series. Depends on the series. I think you're one ugly motherfucker. I like it. I'm I'm all for it actually. Um, I don't <laughs> like it when people like, that that kind of became a thing, and that's fine. But I think when it's just randomly throwing in a line from a previous film, just it's like, hey guys, remember this line? It's like really. But that's more of an APP Yeah, it starts to feel. But again, just sort of like go back to the Predators thing as well, because that's something that people complain about that one for. But you have. Things like um, them repeating lines in Russian. How do you feel about that, where you don't necessarily? I think that was clever. Actually. I thought that was good. Yeah, that's 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 smart fan service because you don't. It doesn't feel exactly, hand-fisted yeah. in it, does it? The the, mm. the biggest. I think my biggest issue with them is is when they're literally just trying to force and hand-fist things in as a. Um... If you're in a tunnel staring at an alien, why would you scream? You're one. You are one ugly son of a bitch. Yeah. Like, seriously, that that's that's bad fan service. You've got to be smart about it, hasn't it? There's. It's got to work for the story. It's got to work for the moment. You know, read the room kind of thing. Oh, wait, no. It was Lex, wasn't it? AVP. It's Lex at the end before she blows the alien's head off. No, doesn't for Hayden say. He, he does say you're oh. one ugly son of a bitch, but she actually does the line. It gets cut off by her shooting the gun. Oh, down. yeah. And that's your rating for you, folks. Yes. <laughs> this AVPR tries to repeat a lot of alien stuff as well, though, doesn't it? Oh, in character names? Dallas? Yeah. yeah. Even on the gravestone as well. Is, is that, that um, deleted scene? Well, is Dallas is probably too on the nose, but the the graveyard thing is, is is that too intrusive? No, uh, I thought that I thought that was right. Putting that, a little hawk on in the, the gravestone, yeah. But Dallas. When I was, was reading just... the first draft of the script and I had McTiernan, I think was like the name of the teacher in the script. It took me a second <laughs> yeah. to realise that I wasn't actually just reading a scene about John McTiernan talking to people. <laughs> I think that's when it starts to become almost more like poor fan fiction than mm. something yeah. being made by competent. But there's film. nothing really in AVPR. Like all the good stuff in it is basically just stuff you've seen from other films. Well, it's, it's like we were saying earlier, a best of compilation. Yeah, isn't it? And that's bad homage. Like good homage references, but isn't like in your face and builds off it and has its own unique things on top of it. Bad homage. 
And that's also reflected back in how people think Alien 3 is, you know, a copy of Alien and Predators is a copy of Predator because of really, really superficial things. People pick up on the superficial elements a lot more than they do on deeper structural things. So you can rip off the entire structure of a previous film, but so long as you change um, the appearance of it, people are kind of happy to go with that. And like, again, going back to Star Wars New Hope versus Star Wars Episode 7, they could have kept, like, even Episode 1 has the same structure as New Hope. Like, every first film basically has the same thing. But say they put um, Ray on a jungle planet instead of a desert planet. Like, just little things like that, it might seem silly, but those little superficial changes add up to people not immediately recognizing, hang on, I've seen this before three times. Mm. Okay. Keep, keep the structure. Uh, don't just take scenes. So, while we're on the topic of AVPR, mm-hmm. gore. <laughs> gore. Uh, I can hear Bridgetop chuckling away in the background because I know he uh, he uh, actually liked the gore in AVPR. But when... It exists for the sake of it. It's not effective. Yeah. One of the criticisms uh, levied at AVP was um, was the rating, the lack of it. yeah, and the lack of the lack of gore in it. So it's almost like a complete overcompensation when it came to the second one, because it's it's whole the whole marketing around that was around you know it being a more violent and gory film. I mean the the one trailer that they were proper hyping up was the red band trailer, you know the the mm. one that could show off the the violence. And yeah, in fact, I think yeah. I think Requiem was only an afterthought yeah. in the title. Yeah. They, they, they didn't actually realise it was going to be a R in the title. They just wanted to hype that up as the rating. So, you know, these are adult franchises. These are adult films. I mean, Alien is notorious for people passing out in in the cinema for for the chestburster because. Actually, it, what what got most people um, for the original Alien wasn't the chestburster. It was Ian Holmes' head coming off. People really? were so tense in the movie. Yep, people were so tense in the movie by that point that when his head flew off, a lot of people was like, you know what, I can't take this anymore. I just can't oh. deal, and left. Yep. A lot of people were actually, like, obviously sickened, and some people did leave, but the biggest reaction was the head flying off in terms of people just like, no, nah, I can't do this anymore. But they, they weren't strangers to to showing off the blood and guts, were they? Um, so, they you know... Are, like, actually, that would be an interesting... I think a more interesting point to start with is the lack of gore in AVP, for example, first, like, obviously bothered a lot of people, but look at Aliens. There's almost no blood. Yeah. But you don't think about it because you're not cutting... Like, the problem with not having blood in AVP is it's obvious you're shying away from it. They were too obvious that they were cutting at the right moment. Yeah. Whereas with mm. Aliens, you see what you would see. Yeah. Like, you don't see what happens to Hudson. It's probably horrible, but he gets dragged under the floor. And that, like, that's horrifying. That's actually scarier. That's probably scarier than seeing yeah. him get torn well, apart you know, Day of the Dead style. Cameron Cameron said something that I always found very interesting in regards to that. It was um, something along the lines of gore doesn't create terror, it creates disgust, yeah. if, you, if you remember mm-hmm. that. And that's a big point. Um, AVP feels neutered because it doesn't even have the fear. Like, there's no fear, there's nothing in it, there's not even any gore. And you just no realise. Right? Yeah, there's yeah. no tension, and you just realise it's, it's empty. ABPR then kind of flips to the reverse problem. There's still no tension. There's still no fear. But now there's just throwing blood and guts. Yeah. Which again doesn't create fear, creates disgust. People might be disgusted by the belly verses, but nobody's going to go, "Oh my god, this is terrifying." I think also it can create um, a thrill in a sense. I mean, why do people watch movies like Saw? Why do people watch movies like Final Destination? You know, there's there's some sort of thrill out of watching trashy horror movies where where you see like blatantly like horrific fates for the characters. 
the key word there was trashy. Right, and AVPR is a trashy movie. Yes. I, I I don't deny that at all, but I get some enjoyment of the sense because I've I've always had a type of affection for those trashy sci-fi movies, and AVPR r- reminds me of of the old school like you know small town America alien invasion films that just happen to have alien and predators, which wasn't what fans wanted. You know, fans wanted the battle in space with the Marines. Um, but I I I think there is that. It's like, yes, it is going back to that old school, you know, small town America gets overrun by aliens. But you look at Alien, Alien is Monster in a Spaceship, that's B-movies going back to the 30s and 50s. It's tried and tested, but they didn't just play to that. Properly. Yeah, they, they treat it, as I was saying, it's a B-movie with A-movie treatment. By the time you get to AVP and AVPR, everyone's saying, well, what do you expect? And just playing to the lowest common denominator? That's another big thing. Like, it doesn't matter if you're doing a story that is what's typically considered, like, low-end, like, monster on a spaceship, guy in a rubber suit, terrorizing people. You still do a good job. You still try to make the best film you can. By the time you get to AVPR, you've got people saying, eh, it's a crossover, what do you expect? And just half-assing the entire right. thing. Right, and, and even though I would consider AVPR a trashy sci-fi, I don't consider it, like terrible in the sense that, you know, people really did put hard work into that movie, and at the same time with both films, it could have been worse if you look at the original ideas and some of the scripts. Um, so yeah, that's not the strongest defense of the film, for sure, but I think, you know, there was good creature design there. Say what you will about ADI versus the older creature designs. I think the creature design was strong, and I think we got to see these two species fight on screen. Granted, it wasn't in the setting that everyone had hoped for, because they wanted to, to pull off a lower budget, we didn't really see much. Well, I, we definitely saw more yeah. than we. And actually, that's, that's not even a, that's not even necessarily a jab at the lighting, like the fighting. Uh, well, it it wasn't long. the lighting, was it? Well, the the grade. Yeah. But like the scenes are about ninety seconds long. Like if you look at those fights, none none of them are like really longer than two minutes, except for the very last one. And they basically amount to the predator throwing an alien against the wall and shooting it. Like that's not satisfying. The no. three minute rough and tumble of the first attempt was much more interesting and engaging because it was that back and forth. You didn't know who was going to win because one was on top and the other was on top. And that's like an interesting fight because there's tension in it. You get to APR and it's just, I walk in, I kill the aliens, I walk into the next room, I kill the aliens. Oh no, I got a boo-boo, I kill the aliens. Yeah. Video game. Like. There, there were definitely fights that could have been better, but as, as far as the violence and the gore goes, I think that's always been kind of a staple of the expanded universe. You look at some of the aliens in AVP comics. You look, I mean, look at AVP 2010, the video game, and all the the crazy, violent, ridiculous trophy kills that were in that game. Admittedly, that was after AVPR and probably as a reaction to AVPR. I don't know if I'd say it was a reaction. I mean, that's always been in the comics. There, there's always been like obnoxiously ridiculous gore in yeah, the comics. Yeah, the comics. But if we're gonna start. The comic time is actually the best place to draw your inspiration from in terms of quality, are they? Well, that's what AVP as, as a franchise is based on. I mean, the, the AVP films are pulling their influence more from the expanded universe than they are from the other films, I think. Yeah, but the first comic, for example, isn't that gory. Right. No, it's, it's not. You can make the argument either it's way. It's not. Yeah. And actually, none of the AVP comics are terribly gory. Even AVP the, War isn't that bad. I think it's more about... It's like you said. It, it, it's like we all said. It, it was an overreaction to... Mm. one piece of criticism from from the first film and the important thing is it, it needs to service it needs, it needs to, to service, service you film. also have to care about what's happening to the people like we get introduced half the people who die in that film actually i'd say more than half exists just to die which yeah. is pointless but mm. and and that's why all of their scenes like you might get that thrill of seeing the gore but it's not affecting it doesn't horrify you it doesn't really affect you you don't go away going oh my god i'm going to be seeing these images burn into my mind because you just don't care the whole belly burster scene doesn't have the weight of like the original chest burst or even the chest burst in aliens or actually any chest burster scene 
because it amounts to some guy we don't know looking into a room full of people we don't know as something horrible happens to them. It's like, mm. why do I give a shit? I've only known these people for five minutes. Why do I give a shit what's happening to anybody? It's like, okay, there's some blood and that's it. Whereas with aliens, like we know Kane. With aliens, we don't necessarily know the person who's dying, but the Marines are the audience who don't know what's happening. And Ripley is the audience that doesn't know what's happening. And we're all sitting there going, oh God, not again, not again, please not again. Alien 3 probably does go a bit cheap by having you know, the dog, but at least it's wrapped up with the emotion of the scene as well. Like, it's a very emotional scene, plus the dog dying, like the death and the rebirth and the thematic elements. Even Resurrection, like Purvis is a likable guy, and he goes out like a champ, killing a dickhead, and you cheer for that. Like, it's, it means something. There's some kind of emotional attachment. You get to AVPR and half the deaths is like, hi, this is Bob. Bob is six years old. Bob is dead. But I mean, are we really going to see... Are, are you going to start saying, are we really going to go see an AVPA film for character? Exactly. Because right. that goes straight back, that goes straight back into why am I going to go see a monster on a spaceship film about a guy in a rubber suit terrorizing people to go see brilliant art design, set design, stuff like that. All I'm saying is that sometimes, I mean, look at the recent Godzilla, for example. Everyone complained that Godzilla was hardly seen in that film because people wanted to go see a monster movie with Godzilla. That doesn't mean you have poor characters. That doesn't mean you have you know, no human story there whatsoever, but you have to have a balance. And I think, yeah, of course there's fodder characters in AVP that are, are meant for nothing more than death, but I, I don't think that, you know, horror and, and gore always necessarily has to be wrapped up with, you know, terror and it, it affecting someone in the it audience. It doesn't have to necessarily be terror, but it, you have to care, otherwise it's otherwise it is trash. Yeah, but it could just be trash. That's what separates trash You're from enjoying. trash. I mean, look at, look at horror movies that people laugh at, you know. People can laugh at terrible things happening in horror movies. Yes, but we're not, we're not talking about like generally trashy films. We're comparing why people weren't laughing and thinking the early films are trash versus why AVPR is trash. Like that, that's the point. We're, we're doing that comparison. I'm not saying AVPR is bad because it's trash because that's not the conversation here. But it's like yes, AVPR is trash compared to the others. Here's why. Right, but I don't think this isn't this isn't criticism about I, it. Right, and I don't think the AVP films can stand up against the original films for sure and i don't think but they can if people try i think they should be. i see from the perspective of the filmmaker i think they should because i don't think you should half-ass it i don't think you should ever just say eh, what do people expect right. and just no i totally agree with you there but i don't think there's any way i don't see why she set out to make a bad they film. could make an avp film as good as the alien films just on the premise but why not how could you make a film about a monster on a spaceship that face rapes somebody and explodes out of his chest into a classic of cinema, not, not just sci-fi and horror, but like a cinema classic that's critically lauded. You know, that kind of film, like, generally gets piled onto the trash pile and like the video Nazis and oh, we'll forget about it. But because they actually put the effort in, because, you know, Harry Dean Stanton goes to Ridley Scott and says, I don't know about these monster films. I don't really like them. And he said, you know what? Neither do I, but I think we can make something of this. And they tried. They got the best people they could to try it. And they made something brilliant because they put the effort in. ABPR, I'm not saying people didn't do hard work. But there was, like, fundamentally, there was never that drive to try to make a really, really good film. There was just that drive to make a film that was going to make a lot of money, which is always the point of making a studio picture. But mm. they never put the consideration into just make a good film. It was like, how can we please the audience with this shot? How can we give? It was this fan service with no plot behind I, it. I agree with you. I think that, yeah, AVP deserves more as a film franchise for sure. I think they're, they should have bigger budgets, they should have better talent behind them, better directors, and, and better writing, for sure. I'm not saying that AVP should just be a trashy sci-fi film franchise and it shouldn't have any real care or, or cinematic you know expertise put into it. But at the same time, I 
I can get some personal enjoyment of the originals. Granted, yeah, they were disappointing in, in some regards, for sure. Absolutely. But we're not arguing, like, the enjoyment or whether, like, we personally like them. We're arguing about, like, this is why this worked and this is why this didn't on the same level. Right. It's like, okay, why, okay, so why is it okay for there to be all this gore and violence in the early films, but why do we consider AVPR trash, for example? We're not saying trash is bad, we're just saying this is what makes it considered that. What I'm saying is basically you don't have to defend AVPR. Right. Like, we understand, like, trash is fun. Right. We all like trash. I, I think for the gore, though, in the context of, yeah, that was a trashy movie, whether or not that's what they were going for, I think it works. I think AVPR, as bad as it is, would be less enjoyable if it did not have the ridiculous amount of gore that it does. Oh, absolutely. But the gore doesn't actually say, like, it's, it doesn't make it a good film. And it also doesn't really, like, it enhances the experience because you get to sit there and watch some creative death scenes, but that's, like, really all the film has going for it. It, it doesn't, it doesn't work as well because of the almost thr- uh, slasher style nature of, of the film. Yeah, Alien is a slasher film, but it's a really well-dressed one. Like, they are slasher movies at their heart, but AVPR does... Yeah, but they're, they're, yeah, they're very... Set. Go for broke. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they're not trying to just, just do Friday the 13th style moments, are they? The, the, the yeah. point is they're, they're, they're very well-built films with cast and uh, with characters that um, you do ultimately feel for when, when these horrid, horrid moments are happening. It's it's not gratuitous, I suppose, would be the um, better way yeah. of doing it. That, that makes it less effective. I'm not saying it makes it less fun or entertaining or enjoyable, mm-hmm. but it makes it less effective as a horror film if these people are just popping up today. Well, that goes back to, um, I mean, Alien 3, even in the... I oh, thought God, the yeah. dog, I thought the dog burster scene did... It's always felt a little bit too gratuitous to me, but I love how it's interwoven with um, Dylan's speech and the funeral mm. of Hicks. See, that's what that's what makes it because it's giving poignancy. You have that beautiful quote of you know within each um, death is the you know the flowering it's of a new life and you see it emerge. Theme. Yeah, yeah. It, that makes it artistic. Yeah. Yeah, and then you have this very video game-like thing at the end where the thing is just chasing down these prisoners. And you, you most people, I, I know he's getting more of a cult following now, but most people, I still count myself as one, we just don't care about these people just getting head-bitten, 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 head-bitten. It's just getting head-bitten yeah. for the sake of it. I think the dog scene also... It, it, it plays very much on people are bastards, but for some reason a lot of people seem to care about you know animals yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Rather, so you know, there's, there's, it works a little bit better um, <laughs> on, on on top of that, um, you know, on top of all that dialogue, on top of all that thematic yeah. um, nature of it as well. I mean, we we just don't care about a fellow man. So yeah, but, I mean know, that that is an example that that dog burst scene of something which definitely had a lot of gore in it. It literally mm. splashes over the floor. Oh, yeah, but it, 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 it yeah, it but works. it's risen above because there's that whole other stuff it's interwoven into. It feels very artistic, mm. and you do get a feel of this dawning something has emerged. It's like you know that whole religious theme of on the, the, the whole film is flooded with you know there's a devil amongst the monks sort of thing it's emerged now you do get definitely get that as opposed to stuff in requiem where it's just you know belly bursters and that's it you're on to the next scene right and and 
kind of back to the the AVR point for AVPR point just for a brief moment. Um, when I when I was saying like I don't think that an AVP film could ever live up to the originals. That's not to say that I wouldn't want that. That's just to say that I think the more a franchise goes on, the more people are gonna have expectations of the original films that are never ever gonna be met, mm. regardless of how good the film is from a technical technical standpoint. What they shot themselves in the foot with the AVP films is they didn't do it simply. Like they just um the bloody ritual or you know he's cleaning up a mess they never just did here's aliens he's practice just like the basic of the concept before expanding on other things mm. for the films i think simplicity is what saves most of these films at the beginning mm. what do you all think of the gore in um, alien resurrection there's actually not as much as i remember it's, i think it's, it's just silly yeah it's the silly moments it's like the pulling yeah. the brain out the back of um at the back of Perez's head. It's a tonal thing, isn't it, more than, yeah. um, than, a, than a gore thing? I think it's interesting. Um, Predator, for example, John McTiernan was always holding back, as bloody as that film is, he was always holding back on this because he didn't want it. If there's too much blood, it just starts getting silly. Mm. And well, no to the point Predator... where I suppose it wouldn't look realistic. It's sort of ungrounded, exactly. doesn't it? Yeah, and like he thought when this... It was supposed to get to the point where there was supposed to be skins hung up in the Predator camp at the end of the film. He's like, yeah, if I show that, that's just going to be ridiculous. And I think for the tone of the film, he was absolutely right. In the end, it works a lot better because, like, there is blood. There's quite a lot of blood, but it's always in places where it should be. Mm. The, the point it's... is it services it, doesn't it? Exactly. It, it... Whereas, you know, what does Perez pulling his brain out do? It's funny. Yeah. yeah. Which I suppose services the tone that um, yeah. um, Jeanette wanted to, to do with the film. Actually, interesting, broke... interesting comparison, Alien to Resurrection. Like, Alien is a bunch of really talented creative people who are absolutely right for the role, for that film. Resurrection is a bunch of creative talented people who are absolutely wrong for that movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> Whedon shouldn't have written an alien film. Like Jean Pierre Jeunet is a good director, like brilliant director, but he should not have been doing an alien film. That is that is it, one he's, of... he's not bad, but he's like those people should not have been working on that film. Yeah. All good people, wrong for that role. I think mm. that's one of the most fascinating things about Resurrection is it's, like, it's not like anybody's bad at that job. Yeah, the the on you know on, on their own things they're very very talented people. I mean, you yeah. know, Fire, Firefly for example, um, but again, completely the wrong kind of exactly the wrong people for that job. Yeah, I can kind of understand understand the very base mentality of this guy writes good female mm. leads, but it's it's thinking about sort of the tone. Yeah, yeah. Like the tone yeah. of Resurrection started with the script as much as Whedon tries to deny it. Oh yes. He's Although I do adamant. I do think the novelization reads better than the film. I've got that, but I haven't read that yet. It's it's still daft, but I think <laughs> I think without a lot of the um, a lot of the visual side of it, it read it, it is a somewhat slightly more improved read than uh, experience than than the film itself is. Um, can, I, can I go back to something uh, different? Because I think we've got silliness down. Um, Godzilla was mentioned before, and how people were upset that it didn't appear as much in the recent film. Godzilla is in that recent movie for about same amount of minutes as the original Alien. But when you watch Alien for the very first time, you're kind of aware that you don't see it a lot, but it never feels like you didn't get enough of it in the film. Oh. Or particularly in Aliens or Predator, like they're not in it that much, but for some reason you don't think... You might get to the end of it and think, yeah, I don't feel want to see more of it, but you don't feel unsatisfied, yeah. I think the biggest problem with a lot of movies these days that try to keep back on the creatures is that the rest of the film, if the alien, if the monster or whatever isn't on screen, then the film kind of ignores that it's there. Like, the original Jurassic Park has 15 minutes of dinosaurs in it, and yet you tell that to anyone who's just watched the film, like, no, that's a two-hour, ten-minute movie, there was dinosaurs in, like, every scene. But it's only 15 minutes, because if the dinosaur isn't on screen, it's like, 
How do we not get killed by the dinosaurs? How do we get the dinosaurs back in their caves? How do we escape the dinosaurs? Yeah. Everything is about it. Alien, when the alien's not on screen, how do we kill the alien? How do we get rid of it? How do we save ourselves? Predator, how do we survive? How do we survive to get to the extraction point? A lot of more modern films, like particularly the AVP films, if the creatures aren't like in your face, it's sort of, so how's your day last week? Well, my mom got back from the war and she's trying to reunite hmm. with me. And then, oh, look, the alien's bursting through the screen. It's like, seriously? So round it back up to why Godzilla wasn't satisfying is because he's literally just sitting in the ocean with some cameras pointing out. And there's Godzilla waiting. He's yeah, not it's, doing it's anything. Not, he's it's not his film, it's, is it, it's really? About, it's no, it's, it's the mutants. Yeah, and that's, that's one of the things I was going to mention is I think another thing that makes it so blatantly obvious how little people felt they saw Godzilla in the new film was the fact that you saw these new monsters a lot more. There was a lot more screen time devoted to the, the Muto monsters. They were actually driving the plot. The plot was about them. It wasn't about Godzilla. Yeah. And that, that even brings us all the way back to Prometheus. The alien drives the plot of Alien. The questions drive the plot of Prometheus, but the question and the answers aren't really there. But the alien is there, and even when it's not on screen, it's like concentrating everyone's thoughts about it. With Prometheus, like they stop thinking about these questions when there's a boogeyman rocks up or when somebody has to perform a cesarean section. Yeah, even if it's not there visually, its presence yes. is felt. So its yes. presence is as much of a character as seeing the guy presence. in the suit. Yeah, but it's still like the presence is in there in the room because all the character and the audience, your your mind is on it and the, the minds of the characters are on it. And I actually think that's what, something aliens... It's one thing I never liked about um, Aliens or Terminator 2 is you get about halfway through the film and the people... Their plan becomes, like, how do we escape or how do we stop this? But it stops feeling like it's about the creature itself. Until, like, with aliens, they do start sitting around and being, like, yeah, Ripley has her argument with Burke and they're talking about the venting and stuff like that. The alien kind of gets sidelined until they start attacking the um, sentry guns and the director's cut or until they start beating on the doors in the theatrical cut. Like, they stop. I actually think that's that's a fault with Cameron's um, earlier films. Like, it, I call it the second act tea party because the threat just sort of disappears for about ten minutes. But then what he's really good at, and a lot of people aren't, is that he brings it back with a vengeance. And like the last 40 minutes of those films is like, Jesus Christ. It's like how he sort of described it as um, as a roller coaster. It is a roller coaster. Alien does have a kind of pause, like where they're putting their plan in action. And you think that maybe you think they're hoping the alien doesn't rock up. And then yeah, it it's like it's like it's like the mo- it's like the moments when you know after they're done and you you're seeing Parker being very aware of his surroundings, shaking, and yeah, stuff like that, yeah. So and um, I think that's like with the AVP films, they've got to kind of keep throwing the creatures at you because people want to see the creatures, but that's completely the opposite point of a creature film. You should be fearing it. Yeah. Like with with Alien or Aliens, for example, you don't like the first time you see them at least you aren't exactly cheering when they're rocking up it's like oh god no no go away go away go away go away which is how it should be in a horror film it's like yeah. the, the, the creature rocking up is a bad thing because that means bad things are going to happen and they've built up that fear but with something like avp or avpr when there's no fear um you're sitting there like where's the alien where's the alien i came here for the alien where's the <laughs> you, resurrection as well it's like the aliens it, disappear halfway through do you feel a lot of that is probably due to things like pop culture and um no, I actually think the, the marketing message no, I, yeah, it's marketing, not the audience. I think people, um, are too ready to assume that the audience is stupid or that the audience won't be satisfied if they don't see the monsters. But it, you can show the first Jurassic Park to a modern audience and they don't think there's not enough dinosaurs in it because they're used so well and because they're worked into the plot so well. You still don't think that there's only 15 minutes of dinosaurs. It, it comes back around to good storytelling, good filmmaking. Yeah. In, in, in general, like nowadays, do you sort of feel like most of the films we get on, 
aren't quite up to scratch like they used to? Do you think there's like a, a, a talent issue? For creature films, there are. I hear good things about things like uh, The Babadook, which is a independent horror film. Yeah, that I think was from great. Australia. I really like that one. See, I haven't seen that, but I, I think that thinking is still there. There are like good horror films being made, but I think um, studio-made horror films are being made for people that they think are idiots mm-hmm. or who have short attention spans. They don't understand that a horror movie audience actually has generally a lot of patience. To so- you can't just sit there and do nothing for an hour and then have something happen and call it a slow build-up. Some- you have to be building to something. <laughs> I think and that's the problem with like alien takes a long time. Everyone says Alien takes too long. Aliens takes longer. It's over an hour before the aliens rock up in Aliens, but you don't think about it because there's so much stuff happening. There's so much plot happening. There's that build-up. You know it's coming, and but there's all these things we have to get to before then. AVP, on the other hand, takes 50 minutes, and you're thinking, Jesus Christ, I am so bored. Again, that's, that's down to a lot of um, the flat talent involved as well, in the cast as well, and the writing of the characters. You know, you're not interested in these people. I, yeah, it's, it's interested in the characters, but also it just doesn't feel like it's moving it has to be moving it doesn't it, you can wait an hour to get to the point but just so long as there's something building to the point like aliens again takes an hour but you've got ripley she wakes up she has to go through this inquest she gets drawn back they find out the colony they discover the alien the face is in the tube they find you it's like they rule out all these possibilities and waiting for the aliens and waiting for the aliens and it gets down to that final it's like well the colonists are here it's the last place to check and everyone's like oh this is where they're coming in and you've got, you've basically built up another five, ten minutes of anticipation. Like, you, you've earned yourself that. Because, um, like, aliens, like, will they find them when they go in the colony? No. What about when they go to the corner? No. Okay, they found the ones in the tubes. Okay. There's a motion tracker. Is that an alien? No, it's new. Okay, so where are the aliens? And it's constantly building up that expectation and that anticipation until you get to the point where they have to rock up and everyone's on the edge of their seats and that you don't get that with avp it's like we know you have to get into the pyramid for anything to happen why is it taking so long it's like, and then yeah, they get into the pyramid and they step on the plate and it's just, oh for god's sake it's interminable they think it's trying to build tension but it doesn't feel like it's actually going anywhere because we already know where the action's going to happen if you don't know where the action's going to happen then you build that anticipation yeah and that kids is good storytelling versus bad storytelling yeah. Is there any any additional points or um, issues that people would like to address? I think I'm good. Yeah, I think that one was rather intense. <laughs> okay. I think it's good to have these debates because you learn a lot by deconstructing and analysing why something worked in the configuration it did. Just as yeah. the way Sills described, you, it's a lot of people superficially think, oh, you just need colonial marines and this and that, but you don't. You need to have, it's a sense of mystery, but it's a sense of mystery which is serving the purpose of building anticipation. You, it's not just sense of mystery for the sake of sense of mystery, which is what you get in Prometheus. Mm. And like People think, oh, you have to hold back on showing the creatures. You can show the creatures in the first 10 minutes if you want. You just have to have something that's going to keep the interest going for the next hour and a half. Yeah. Okay. I guess we'll call this one... Very uh, good. Yeah, we'll, we'll call this one a wrap. Um, Thank you, gents. Well, thanks, uh, thanks for joining us today. Thanks to everybody for listening. As always, you know, if uh, you have any uh, points, any uh, questions, counterpoints, what have you, Feel free to feel free to post them up, and uh, I'm sure we'll be uh, watching responses and uh, there to uh, reply to you. And Thank you, for you know, thanks for having me, and thanks for suggesting it. I thought it was um, going to be an interesting one. It, it, I think it was <laughs> very much so. Hopefully, everybody agreed. As always, you know, make sure you're um, following us on Facebook and on Twitter. 
um, Aliens vs Predator Galaxy or ABB Galaxy on Twitter. And we'll sign off there then. So, you know, thank you very much for coming along, Joe. Uh, Sil, sorry. Um, it's always a pleasure. Um, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Especially, especially talking to, uh, to knowledgeable fans as well. So, yeah, this is, this is Corporal Higgs. And Ridgetop. Xenomorphin. Sil. Signing off. Thank <laughs> you.